Amen. Isn't it a special treat getting that this morning? Man, it's so nice. Thank you guys so much for coming out and leading us in that worship and beautiful song right there. That beautiful sound. Night. Some of us are gifted with the singing, some of us are not, so uh, that's why I stay in the back so no one can hear me. Uh, so that's why I do that. It's good to see the Chapman cheer section in the back. So I'll just tell you right now, they, they raise the bar every week what it looks like to be excited on Sunday morning. I've never seen people rock and roll to Silent Night, and I kind of feel like that needs to be the new bar for us uh, every day. So I'm watching everybody to see what happens next for you. So I don't know if you're excited. It is five days and counting until Christmas. Are you ready? Do you have all your stuff together? Did you forget? I don't know if you forgot or not. It's coming, whether you like it or not. It's coming real close. Hopefully you're getting excited. We are in our last spot on our Advent Christmas series, Walking Through, and we're going to wrap up today the message series we've been going through. And to, to jump into what we're going to talk about today, I want to do some quick discussion with the people you're around. If you will take a second and, and answer this question, okay? There's a, here's one maybe have sentimental value for you. If you could continuously live in one moment of your life, when would it be and why? Real quick, with the people you're around, if you're online, chat with them real quick. Say, if you could think of one moment in your life, like that was a sweet time in my life. I remember that. If there's one time in my life I could just repeatedly live, when, when would it be and why? Take a second. With the people you're around, crowd participation. You need to talk to people you're right next to. If you're not the next one, just kind of yell at someone across the room or something. I don't know. Uh, just uh, share real quick. Share real quick what yours would be, and we will, we will unpack this here in just a second. You guys online, take a second, type in what season of your life. Those of you who are more seasoned than other, maybe you might have to hearken back to those days, whatever it is. So uh, I won't say any more about that so I can keep my friendships in this church. I do find it funny sometimes when we think about that. We might look back at moments we enjoyed, but isn't it funny sometimes in the moment we don't really cherish those things. We're always thinking about the next season, trying to get back. And it's not until we're looking back going, that was a good time. I can't believe I missed that. I can't believe I let that pass by. I can't believe I didn't enjoy that more than I should have in the moment. I don't know what you guys are thinking of, what you're processing. I'll be honest, I had a couple. I had a hard time limiting down, and out of fairness to my family, I thought I'd pick two, so I hope you'll indulge me with the minute of that. One time in my life, I can actually tell you uh, kind of around the exact date of it was January 17th, 2004. I think I have a picture uh, of me, and yes, right there. Uh, that is me and my now wife. We uh, had just got engaged a few days before this. And so we were excited. Uh, we had been dating for five years at this point, and so we were excited that we'd finally officially committed to one another, or I guess more, I kind of quit dragging my feet and proposed to her. We were on a youth ski trip right now at this moment. I did not propose that at a youth ski trip real quick. Let me just back the train up. We'd left a few days later, and so I'm, I'm with my two things at that point in my life that I love. One is that girl right there, and the second is snowboarding. Like, I love snowboarding, and I was like, man, this was, it was just a sweet moment in my life, and I think back, things were so simple then, you know, and not saying my wife, uh, she's not in the room, not saying she made it more complicated in any way, shape, or form, but things were so simple then, and it was just such a sweet time in my life. I just think, man, that was such a good time, and if I could live in that moment, that was just such a, a joyous time. Uh, or another one this recently with my kids that, again, I didn't realize until after I left was this last September uh, 2000, or September 2019, I think I have a picture 
I'm not trying to unpack Disney trips, but we, we took our kids to Disney World. Now, I'll say real quick, I don't think Disney World is the most magical place on earth, because if it was, you would not be sweating as much as you did, you would not have to walk as much as you did, right? And it did not cost as much as it did. So there's nothing magical about all those factors right there. But, but this picture sums up what was so magical, what made it so special for me, because my, my two little girls are growing up, and, and my oldest one, to be exact, is, is becoming more and more of a teenager even today, even though she's, she's not a teenager. And, and I remember going on this trip and watching her find joy and excitement in, in Tigger that I had not seen in years. And there was something about this seeing both my girls just being living in a moment. And there was something special about that. I was like, man, if I could, if I could live in that moment forever with my girls being small and just enjoy this, man, life, life would be good. I don't know if you can uh, re- reminisce or, or have the same understanding, but the problem is at some point I have to grow up, Right? At some point, I can't live as the young 19-year-old kid proposed to his girlfriend skiing and all dreaming about snowboarding and stuff. And the other thing also is, at some point, I have to let my girls grow up. As much as I love this, as much as I love these moments, as much as I want this, there comes a point I have to let that go. And I'll be honest, I'm going to fully confess, I used to make fun of parents when I was a youth pastor, and they'd come drop their 7th grade kid off for Falls Creek, crying their eyes out because it's the first time they've ever been away from home. I'm like, goodness gracious, seriously, cut the cord. Like, let it go. Let it go. I get it. I apologize. I repent of my bad thoughts at that time. I apologize. Full, full, full transparency right now. I get it. There comes a point we have to let them grow up. We have to move on in some ways. And my connection I'm getting at today is uh, with Christmas, we celebrate so much the baby, but sometimes we miss that we should be celebrating the Savior. We get so caught up in the baby and the manger, what's going on, it's all about this sort of stuff, and we never let the baby grow up to his full potential of what he actually came to do. And we manage it so well, and we come to a point, and we have comfort of controlling this aspect of Christmas, controlling what we have, that we don't let him become what he was meant to do. We want to keep Jesus in the manger sometimes, don't we? Or as one famous a NASCAR driver said, want to keep him as eight pounds, six ounce in newborn infant Jesus is what we want to do. We just don't want him to ever grow up. The reality I want to say is this, Jesus came to be the Savior, not to be swaddled. And there has to come a point we have to let him do that in and through our lives and not leave them there. Because we can manage those things well. I can manage my kids. There comes a point I have to let them grow up. And there's a point we have to let Jesus grow up in our own life. In this Advent series we've been going through, we've talked about preparation. We've talked about anticipation. We've talked about exaltation as we've gone through the book of Luke. But the last one we're going to look at in Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 20, is we're going to talk about incarnation. The incarnation of Christ, which is such an important aspect and what that looks like and what it means. Now, now it's a big word that maybe you heard, maybe you haven't heard, maybe you've grasped, maybe you've wrestled with. It is important to the Christian faith, this whole idea of incarnation. It literally means the, the idea of God taking human form, God coming in the flesh. I mean, think about this for a second, of what other religion, what other, what other aspect of God you ever hear in this world where God in heaven leaves his throne, comes down, embodies the body of a man, of a person, and, and lives a life for us and through us and through all sorts of things. John chapter 1, 14 describes it like this, as the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You say, why is that a big deal? Why is the incarnation a big deal in scripture? Well, there's so many different things, but let me just give you a couple. One reason it's a big deal is because God came and, and fulfilled in the human form the laws that we so troubled with that we could never do. He, he came and lived out and obeyed his own laws that he put, lived them out and lived a perfect life. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says this, 
says, but when at the right time, God sent his son. His son was born of a woman and lived under the law. See, God did this so that he could buy freedom for those who are under the law. His purpose was to make us his children. Just one more, Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said this himself. Don't think that I have come to destroy the law of Moses or the teaching of the prophets. I have not come to destroy their teachings, but to do what they said. Think about this. How rude would it have been for a God to say, I want you to follow all these laws, and then come like, dude, that's really hard. I don't want to do that. Like, man, I get that. If you don't know what that's like, then you haven't been a parent for long. Whenever you've given rules to your kids, and then quickly they call you out when you don't live up to it. For example, in our house, and I've shared this before, we have a rule. When we sit down for dinner, there are no electronic devices, nothing at the table. And we harp on our kids, like, put away your eyes, like, put away your stuff. You're not supposed to be watching TV, Hallie, Addie, you're not supposed to be doing this. Can I tell you what they love to do? The moment we get a text and mommy and daddy bust out our phone and they look at this and they're, my oldest, stop, you know, hypocrite, you know, like calling me out on it. I mean, she loves to pounce because daddy's not living up to the very law he's established in his own house. How hypocritical would it have been have God just said, you know what, those are difficult, I've given those to you, I don't want to do those. But no, he came and he lived as a person and said, listen, I'm going to fulfill the very thing that I've established. And so he came and lived a perfect life for us. But not just that, not only did the incarnation allow him to come and fulfill what we, Adam, can never do, Moses, David, all these people throughout Scripture could never do, but he also came to provide the perfect payment for his sacrifice, to provide the payment for his law. Hebrews 10, listen to this, 1 through 3, says, But the people under the law offered the same sacrifices every year. He's saying every year you gave these same sacrifice animals, but these sacrifices were not good enough. He said the law could make them perfect, the sacrifices had already stopped. He says but worshipers uh, would be made clean and they would no longer feel guilty for their sins. So these sacrifices that they made all throughout the Old Testament remind them of their sins every year because it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away their sins. It was never meant to fulfill the law. As a matter of fact, Romans 3.26 says this, And God gave Jesus to show today that God does what is right, for God did this so that he could, listen, could judge rightly and also make right any person who has faith in Jesus. Imagine this, like there's a payment. I, I've, I've ruined a car. I, I've, 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 paid, I've taken away. I've stolen money, whatever it is, more than I can ever, and I have to come and pay it back, but yet I don't actually own that much money. I can't give you an imperfect replenish for what it is. Jesus came and lived a perfect life and then paid the perfect price and paid the perfect penalty that mean you could never do. Jesus came and did this. This is what the incarnation allowed with so many other things that came. He paid the penalty we could not pay. You see, don't you understand, listen, a, a Savior provided that, not a baby. A baby is just how it started. And so we celebrate the birth, but yet we need to worship the Savior. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to look at Luke chapter 2 as we look at the accounts of the incarnation. And we unpack more about that. So look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 20 all together, but we're going to unpack it uh, little by little first. Chapter, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. So this was the first census taken when Quirinus was a governor of Syria. It says, All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. 
Uh, some versions say she was now expecting, but I love the NLT, like she was now obviously pregnant. What's she saying? Like, you can tell she's got a baby. Like, she's nine months. I don't know if you know, like, my mirror, like, like she's about to pop. Like, I mean, there's no hiding this thing anymore. Everyone can see, it's like, she's pregnant. Everyone sees what's going on. And I want to real quick, verse 1 through 2, I think is so important because it makes this a historical event. He didn't say like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, something happened. He comes and gives an actual event. Like, listen, whenever you go back to this census that Augustus put together, there's an actual historical event that took place. Now, there's some debate, scholars debate on the timeline with modern limited historical information we have. But the question is, is this accurate? Is this information accurate? Luke has given us detail, and some people try to argue whether or not it's accurate. I think it is because this historical info would have been familiar to everyone. And if he had said something that was not familiar with him, can I tell you, people are probably like, listen, that is not, that is not how it went. And imagine someone saying, yeah, I remember. I remember it like it was yesterday, you know, when COVID hit in 2018. You remember that? You remember when Obama was president? You, you, remember, you remember that? Yeah, it was back when Mickey Mantle was still, I'm like, all they're like, no, dude, none of those add up. That did not happen. That is not, like, we all remember exactly COVID. It was in 2020. We know who's president. We know what was going on. We know everything. You, you cannot slip that past us. This was a big deal, and people would have known all about it. And they all had to go back for the census. Can you imagine having to travel hundreds of miles just to report for taxes? Can you remember, imagine that? Like, hey, you, you have to travel all the way back to your motherland, where your family is from, which for him is Bethlehem. This is some hundreds of miles away with a nine-month-old pregnant uh, uh, wife who, who's carrying his baby on very rough terrain, all for what? All so that you can pay the government the taxes owed to him. Can you imagine the frustration on that donkey ride there? How much like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe we're doing this. What's interesting is there's not understanding of why Joseph took Mary. Most of the time in this culture, what's going on, the, the, only the husband, only the man would have to go back. Why did Joseph take Mary with him? I think there's some interesting things that people speculate. Perhaps in this situation, it was actually required for the census for her to go back. I don't know. Perhaps, as we saw, she was obviously pregnant. Perhaps rumors and gossips began to get so big that Joseph didn't want to leave her back home alone under the scrutiny of everyone around her. Do you imagine the rumors going on right now? Like, what, like, man, she is such an unfaithful fiancé. Can you believe what she's done? He refuses to have her stay under that scrutiny. As a matter of fact, we find out later that when she, wherever she goes, she's still dealing with the same scrutiny. Perhaps, listen, perhaps they were familiar with Scripture. Perhaps Mary and Joseph were familiar with Scripture and knew that the Messiah would have to be born in Bethlehem and knew that said, listen, we want to play a part and make sure this is fulfilled. Many scholars don't know, but what I love one person said, regardless, God's sovereignty got them there. It really doesn't matter which one of those things was right. Regardless, God's sovereignty got them there. God used the annoyance of secular authorities to accomplish his divine plan. I don't know where you are, but I need to hear that right now. And I sit here and I get so frustrated what's going on in our world, what's going on in our government, what's going on in just people. It's <laughs> just me. What's going on? And I sit here and go, God, where are you at? And I read scripture and I read stories like this, and I can only think Joseph going, God, where are you at? Why are we having to do this? And God is using secular people that have no interest in him, whatever, to accomplish his divine plan. And can I tell you, God is still sovereign even in 2020. And we see stuff and said, man, I need to stop this. I need, well, listen, God is in control. And if anything about this story tells us, it tells us that. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 6 through 7. It says, while they were there, when they got to where they go, the time came for her to be born, the baby to be born. Like, the baby's coming. I can only imagine she's sitting on the back of the camel and her water breaks. I don't know. I mean, she's, it, it happens. It's coming. 
And she gave birth to her first child, a son. And she wrapped him, snugly in strips of cloth, and laid him in a manger. Now that's a weird situation. Why would you lay him in, a cl- in an animal's tray, an animal's food tray? Because there was no lodging available for him. We studied last year, if you don't remember, this is probably not most likely like a Motel 6. There was no Motel 6 available. In this time and culture, people would have their house and quarters for guests. Most likely, wherever he went back home, they said, she is not staying in our guest house room. They can go stay where we keep the livestock, which is the lower part of the house. There's probably still scrutiny in Joseph's own home about what's going on. They're probably still getting berated. If you don't believe even more, who wraps Jesus in this situation? Look what it says. While there were times she gave birth, and she gave birth to her son, and who wrapped him? She wrapped. She gave birth to her own son, and she wrapped her own son. Why? Because she had no uh, maidservant, no uh, person to help her with it. She's doing it all herself. Can you imagine? Can you imagine mothers giving birth to your own child, having to wrap, do everything yourself with no one to help you, and that's what's going on with Mary. I remember for both of our kids, when I'm standing in the deliverer, I'm sitting up here by mom's head. I'm like, this, I'm freaking out right now. I don't know what to do with myself. And the doctor's down there like, hey, dad, if you want to come in, I can't scrub you in, but you can come catch the baby. I'm like, bro, I'm good. I'm good right here, okay? I don't, nope. Like, I'm, I'm looking at my wife like, you can do it. You'll breathe. You know, like, oh, like I, I ain't doing it. And they got all sorts of people helping her, taking care of everything. And my wife does what she's created to do to give birth to this child, amazing thing. Listen, can you imagine, why is that? Because she's still being rejected. She's still dealing with all the scrutiny, the shame, the rejection that came from her commitment to Christ. It reminds me of this truth. It's not really a part of the sermon, but it just ties in beautifully that obedience doesn't mean comfort. Just because God calls you to something doesn't mean your life is magically going to get easier. That suddenly everything's going to just work out and everything's just going to be perfect and I'm going to live in the lap of luxury and everything's going to be... You may have to deliver your own baby. You may have to travel miles and miles on an uncomfortable road because of a census. You may have to deal with scrutiny and shame because of what Christ is asking you to call and do. Don't get bought into the prosperity gospel because it's just not real. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 8 through 20, which I think is, is where we really want to camp on. It says, that night there was shepherds staying in the fields. It's such a scene change, isn't it? The baby's born, and all of a sudden it goes to shepherds. There were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. So suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. I can't even begin to fathom what that looks like, because I'll tell you what it was. It says they were terrified. If you think how beautiful this was, that's not what it is. They suddenly realized, oh no, <laughs> I should not be here. It says, but the angels reassured them. It says, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring joy to all people. Those of you who love that, it's not just the Jewish people, not just this people, it's to all people. It says, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, the one we've told you about, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by the sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. This is un- suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, take, take stop for a second. Suddenly your shepherd just in your field, mind your business, an angel shows up, scares you to death, and you're like, I don't, I don't know what to do with myself. And suddenly the armies of God surround you. I mean, imagine the situation, the awe, like I was just sitting here taking care of, you know, fluffy fluff here. And what happens, verse 14, says the glory, they're praising. They're not coming to praise war, bring war, they're coming to bring peace. It says glory to God in the highest and peace. And the armies of God are crying what? Peace on earth to those who God prays is pleased. When the angels have returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. 
they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was a baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told Mary and Joseph everyone what had happened to him and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all the things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angels had told them. I, I love right here, you see the first evangelist in Scripture. The first people to get to share the good news of this Christ is coming are shepherds. It's not the best priest at the best church, at the biggest rabbi or whatever. It's not the biggest politician. It's shepherds. You say, what's the big deal? John MacArthur shares. He said shepherds were near the bottom of the social ladder. They were uneducated, unskilled. They were viewed as dishonest, unreliable, unsavory characters, not even allowed to testify in court. He says, due to their rigorous schedules, they were unable to comply with man-made Sabbath regulations, causing them to be treated as irreligious degenerates. These are the first uh, evangelists in Scripture. It, it paints a picture of this new kingdom God's bringing. Christ incarnates in their life. They hear about this Christ, they go and see, and Christ comes alive in their life. And they go and begin telling everyone. And it raises the question that I really want to tie in today is this, is Christ incarnated in your life? What do I mean? Well, Galatians 2.20, I think, says, this, it says, For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live by the body, I live by faith, by the Son of God who gave himself for me. Can you honestly live your life and say, listen, I don't live, but Christ is incarnated in my life, and he lives in and through me in every aspect of what I do. He's no longer that baby in a manger. He is a living Savior that is breathing and speaking out every aspect of my life. I've given him the reins to this Ferrari that is me, and, and he does whatever he wants. The reality is we need to let Christ incarnate in our life. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, you see what the, what the uh, shepherds do. You see, first and foremost, they hear the good news. They hear the good news about Jesus. Can I tell you the truth? You have to start with the message. The message has to be heard. You have to listen and take in what they're saying. You have to take in this truth that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that died on the cross for your sins, and you cannot receive salvation. You cannot be in a good relationship with God without him. It is impossible. If you don't get that message, you can't do anything else. You are missing what's going on. Why do I tell you? Because there are many people that don't understand this. They really don't know. They go to church week after week, day after day, listening to stuff, and it has nothing to do with the message of the gospel. I went on a mission trip my senior year to Romania, and I went to these Orthodox uh, Catholic churches and stuff, or, or sorry, uh, Greek, Orthodox Greek churches and stuff, and it was just beautiful, beautiful buildings. And you have this sickly look of dying Jesus on a cross up there. I mean, he's the most pale, worst figure I've ever seen. I go and talk to people. I remember having a translator. I said, do you go to church? Oh yeah, I go here all the time. I was like, well, tell me about your Jesus. They go, who? I, I said, that dude. Oh yeah, I'm not sure I know much about that. They go every single week to the same church and they have no idea what this guy dying on a cross is all about and they've left him on the cross and we judge that but yet we leave Jesus in the manger, don't we? Listen, you have to understand the message and many people don't know it. They hear the good news. Not only do they hear the good news but then they go to go and see for themselves. They go and say, you know what, if this is true, I want to experience for myself. There comes a point for you incarnating in Christ, incarnating your life is you have to respond to the message. The message demands a response in our life. When you hear the truth of the gospel, one of two things has to come true. Either one, you have to say, I don't want that, or two, you have to say, I need that. You can't simply ignore it. Otherwise, you don't understand the message. Uh, John MacArthur said this, not trying to keep quoting him. He says, throughout Scripture, 
one common characteristic you find of people who believe in the message of Jesus Christ is that they come to him. All throughout scripture, when they meet Jesus, when they hear about Jesus, you know what? That they come to him. Zacchaeus, what did he do? He wanted to climb a tree. Why? Because I want to see him. Come to my house. I want to learn more about you. I want to be with you. I want to come and meet you. How many people, I think, in our world really don't respond? They come to church and they sit week after week in one of the chairs you're sitting in right now, and we never respond to the message and the gospel of truth, never let it impact our life. And we leave here no different than we were. And can I tell you, the people in the secular world right now, they're, they're, they're getting more out of it than you are. Why? Because at least they're getting to sleep in. <laughs> at least they're getting rest. There comes a point we have to respond. We have to hear the message. We have to respond to the message. But most and foremost, which I think many of us, if not all of us, fall short, is the last part we see. Is after they've heard the message, after they've received the message, they go and share the message. You have to share the message. Can I tell you the truth? Belief and value are always expressed through sharing. Things that you believe in and the things that you value will always be expressed by sharing with someone else. Don't believe me? When is the time that you went and ate at the best restaurant you've ever had? Oh my goodness. I ate this food. It was amazing. What do you immediately do? Call 10 people. I cannot. You post it on Facebook. You snap a picture on Instagram. Let everyone see your, your food. I don't have social media. This is what I've told people. I don't know. Like, this is what people do. Like, it's like, what's going on here? For me, and I've shared this before, it was a place in Amber Pocasset, Oklahoma by Chickasha, a little place called Ken Steakhouse. I said it before, if you have not been, you got to go. It's in a gas station. I know it sounds weird. It's an old abandoned gas station. They've turned into a steakhouse. You walk into this place. Can I tell you what they do? They give you a basket of ribs like chips as you sit down. And I'm just sitting here munching on ribs. Is there a place? Like, what place does this? They have the best salad bar. I never, like, seriously, look at me. Like, I never thought I'd say it. Like, the best salad bar in the world. And they have primary steak that I'm just telling you is amazing. They're only open Thursday through Sunday. They have a helicopter plaid because it's so good. People fly from all over the state just to come eat in this small podunk town called Amber Pocasset of maybe like 1,000 people. It's amazing. The first time I ate there, I got done. I called my parents. You guys have to come eat at Ken's Steakhouse. It's amazing. Okay, yeah. They're like, no, you have to. I made them come the very next weekend, come and eat with me at Ken's Steakhouse. We went and ate there. Can I tell you what happened next? My dad doesn't get excited about anything. My dad calls my little brother and says, Jonathan, you have to come eat Ken's Steakhouse with us. This place is amazing. And he got my brother and finally talked to him. They drove down on a Monday, and guess what? They're closed on Monday. They went back, and my dad says, we're coming back Thursday. He made him come back with them the very next Thursday. Why? Because this is the best thing ever. Listen, when you believe and value something, you will not stop at sharing it. You will not stop. Can, can I tell you the truth? Like, how many people don't actually share Christ? In this room right now, if I'm speaking honestly, if you were to ask you, how many of you have honestly ever shared Christ or even consistently or whatever with Christ? Can, can I give you some statistics real quick? I think I'll put them on the screen. 95% of all Christians have never won a soul to Christ. Let me say it again. 95% of all Christians have never won a soul to Christ. 85% do not consistently witness for Christ. Less than 2% are involved in the ministry of evangelism. I mean, they in any way, shape, or form find some way to participate in the ministry, whether supporting, funding, whatever. 71% do not give towards the financing of the Great Commission. In other words, people, 71% of Christians who say they're believers do not give towards a church, do not give towards missions, do not give towards ministry efforts, nothing. 80% of those who attend church one or more times a month who attend, just attend church, believe they have a personal responsibility to share their faith. 
be it 95% of us aren't doing. What, what, what am I saying? Listen, Christ has not incarnated in our life. You, you may have heard the message, you may have responded to the message, but you're not sharing the message. And, and you're putting Jesus right back in that manger and saying, stay put, little baby Jesus. The big idea that I say for the end is this. Listen, we need to allow Christ to incarnate in our life. We, we need to allow him to come alive. We need to, Galatians 2.20, for I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but the life I do live, I live by faith in the Son of God who, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set by the grace of God because if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Hey, listen, that, that is what Christ incarnate in our life looks like. And so my question to you is this, is in Christ incarnated in your life? Like, where have you left off? Where have you stopped short? Where have you quit in the process? Have you heard the message? Have you responded to the message? Most of you, I think, in this room maybe have fallen into one of those, but have you shared the message, or will you share it? Is Christ nothing more than a swaddled baby at Christmas, or is he the risen Savior? My, my, my curiosity, Luke chapter 2, again, verse 17 through 20. 17 and 20, I think, I love. It says, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened. And what the angels said to them about his chi- this child. In verse 20, it says, the shepherds went out back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. My, my question for you today is, when you leave this place, what will you do? Which Christ do you worship? Is he still in the manger? Is he still just the dying person on the cross, a beautiful symbol that we can show people? Or is he a risen Savior that has conquered sin and provided salvation to all, a truth that we need to share with others? Christmas is easy for us to tell people about when we want to talk about baby Jesus. But the difficulty is when we talk about the Savior Jesus because there's a truth and reality that demands everybody to come to the same conclusion. They have to respond. And so my challenge for you today, I just want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes and just allow those words to sink in and ask yourself this question. Jesus, what do you want me to do? Is, is Christ incarnated in your life? Has he came to life in your life? Some of you, maybe you've never heard the message. Listen, the truth is this. Jesus Christ loves you so much. God loves you so much that he came, was born as a baby, but he grew up. He lived a perfect life. He died the perfect sacrifice, and he became the perfect Savior. And the truth is, if you come to believe that you need this Savior, if you put your faith in him and you give your life to him, you can experience and receive salvation. Maybe today you need to respond to that message. Maybe some of you, maybe you've heard the message, maybe you respond to the message, but yet you've not taken that message anywhere. Listen, take it somewhere. You have a perfect opportunity this Friday, this Thursday and Friday, Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Day, to tell someone not about little eight ounce, five pound, whatever baby Jesus, but talk about the real living Savior that died on the cross for our sins. Don't let that part slip past the message. Don't read the nativity and stop at the manger. Keep it going. I, I fully believe this might be the Christmas. This year we get to baptize someone the first, in the first of the year. We get to bust that thing out in the back and bring it to the front and baptize someone because someone responded to the message because we didn't stop short. God wants you to play a part in that. The question is, what will you do? So 
as I pray over you, I'm going to ask that you leave and respond in faith and whatever that looks like. If that means coming to meet myself, one of the elders, one of the staff to talk about salvation, if that means you need to go and leave here and call someone on the phone, first thing, and say, I need to tell you something that happened to me today, and I just don't want to let another moment go by. You need to do it. So let me pray for boldness over you for whatever decision you do. Father God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son to incarnate and live a perfect life that we couldn't do and to pay the perfect price. God, I'm convicted in my own life because I know I, I'm, I, I'm a hypocrite in this. I, I don't talk to people enough. I have no problem talking about what Christmas is about, talking about baby Jesus, but God, I, I, I fall short of wanting to talk about the Savior too often. God, I have family, I have friends that I need to talk to, so God, I, I pray I'd leave this place and take the opportunity. I would not fall short. God, I desperately pray someone would come to faith because I really want to see someone get baptized because they put their hope in you. Not for my own pride, not for my own benefit, not for our own numbers padding. I don't care about any of that, God. I just want to celebrate you and your life uh, coming in others, coming to life in others. God, convict us to do what we need to do, God. I praise you for being faithful in all things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to thank you for worshiping with us, and I pray you'd continue to worship with us uh, right now as we get to sing some more songs and maybe join us again Christmas Eve service if you have not already thought about doing that. Um, I do want to remind you on your way out, we do have the buckets for tithes and offerings. Uh, if you are a guest, please feel no obligation or online. You have no obligation to give. If you want to give as an act of worship, we encourage you to do that. If you're a church member, I ask you to be faithful to that. Maybe you need to get caught up in your ear in giving. Be, be faithful with that. Um, and just make sure you don't leave out that aspect of worship with God. So would you guys do me a favor? Would you guys stand and let's worship together?